Take your Bible, if you would, turn over to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, and especially encourage you to take notes today. We're finishing a two-part series on money matters of the heart. And it's good for us to uh, discuss this issue of money from time to time. The scripture is replete with lots of uh, discussion about it. Jesus talked a lot about it, as we mentioned last week. And we focused last week on our attitudes and our motives for giving financially to the Lord. The Lord has called all of us as believers in Christ to be generous toward our family, toward our friends, and especially those around us who are in need. And God asks us as Christ followers to be faithful givers to the church, the local church, which is his lighthouse to do ministry in the neighborhoods those churches find themselves in. That is how God grows and expands his kingdom at this time. And I'm so grateful, as I mentioned at offering time, and I can't say it enough, grateful for the generosity of God's people here at Pleasant View Baptist. Your giving enables us to do evangelism, to reach out, to disciple, to help so many people. It's amazing to see how many lives we touch from our church and our community and within this building. And on Friday night, we had a great opportunity as we partnered with other faith communities and uh, our worship band, along with Celebrate Recovery's band, played for uh, most of the two hours between seven and nine, and Austin got to share the gospel, and we had about a thousand people at, between the six o'clock and seven o'clock hour in the park. So, just a great opportunity that we had with the Bettendorf Zip Code Day, and to be a part of that. But some of us in this room, we've yet to allow our trust in God, touch our finances, and give what God asks us to give to Him. So, we're going to talk about five biblical ways. God asks us to give. The first one is a command, and the others are where God prompts us by the Holy Spirit to be generous and give as if all our money belongs to him. And God does that so that he will take care of us as we are faithful to give and then take care of others through his faithful giving to us. But I want to begin with thinking about these two stories today. Uh, In Connors, Georgia, a place that my wife and I lived for two years, just outside of Atlanta, the story goes that Devin Sylvie went and sold his car for $6,500. And he went over to his mother's house. His mother was busy doing things. And so he found his old Mickey Mouse tumbler that he had when he was a kid. He took the top off and he put that $6,500 in for safekeeping. Well, later on that week, his mother was cleaning things out and made a box of things to donate to Goodwill. And guess what went? The Mickey Mouse tumbler. And uh, pretty soon they found out what happened. They called Goodwill. The tumbler was sold, and they were asking for the money back. And the mom said she felt like such a terrible mom because here was this money that was given, and yet she had given it away. I think about also a story about Jeff Jenkins, and he was a car salesman. And uh, he had a couple sitting there across the table, and they wanted to purchase this new car. And the husband said, I'm really having a hard time writing a big check, a big check for this amount of money. So Jeff got a great idea. He says, why don't you write two smaller checks? And so that afternoon, that couple drove home after writing two smaller checks. I guess it's just a matter of perspective, isn't it? That's true. When it comes to big ticket items, we are very careful and somewhat reluctant to write the big checks. So sometimes when we sit down with our bills, our obligations financially, our budget, And then we consider giving to the Lord. Giving is an offering to God, an act of worship, and as we grow in our faith, a sign of spiritual maturity. So let's look at this 
uh, this passage from Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, as we see what God says here about financial giving. Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet there, he said in verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And may God at his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Now God is challenging the nation of Israel here to return to serving the true God alone. And if you read Malachi 1 and 2 and leads up to this passage in 3, all the things that they had done to stray away. And he was pointing them out and he gets to this last one where he talks about this matter of giving. In verse 6 we see that God keeps his word concerning not destroying Israel. But if Israel returned to God, God will once again pour out his blessings upon the Jewish people. Israel asked in verse 7, how do we return? They asked how, and God told them in verses 9 and 10, the idea of tithing. You see, Israel had robbed God. They had denied the Levites and priests their tithes and offerings which were required of them. So we'll get to our main point in just a moment, but I want to give you a little background about tithing in the Bible. The idea of tithing, first tithe in the Old Testament is one-tenth of your livestock and produce which they possessed, according to Leviticus 27 uh, verses 30 and 32, the tithe, when you hear that word tithe, it means one-tenth, one-tenth of your resources. The second tithe was required as a tithe to the Levites, who in turn, according to Numbers 18, took that to Aaron the priest. They tithed on top of the tithe that was given to them. Remember that the priests were commanded as they entered the promised land in the book of Joshua, they were not to possess any of the land, but depend on the tithes and offerings of God's people to supply their earthly needs. In Numbers 18.21, it says this, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. So they were to be freed up from working a land or having a trade to focus on making sure everything was ready and handled properly for worship. And that's why their needs were provided for. Another tithe was the produce and animals that they ate together with the Levites and priests as a feast act of worship. Take your Bible, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 14. These verses aren't on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 14. We're going to look at two sections in that chapter. But this is the tie that they brought to feast times and festivals to worship the Lord. In Deuteronomy 14, it says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed 
that comes from the field year by year, verse 23, and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that they may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, verse 25, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. And then on top of those tithes, every three years there was a welfare tithe, which was given to help the stranger, the fatherless, the widows. Later on in that chapter, look at verse 28. Actually move over to Deuteronomy chapter 12, if you would, verse 28. A couple chapters over. Deuteronomy 12, verse 28. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, that's the foreigner, the immigrant, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. And then they were also commanded that they were a very agrarian society that those that had um, land and were producing uh, crops in Leviticus 19, these are on the screen, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You remember the whole story of Ruth, you know, and Naomi and, and Boaz and how Ruth went and uh, took the crops from the edge of the fields to provide for their needs. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. In the early church, they were to provide for the needs of the widows the Greek believers, the Jewish believers who are widows. All these tithes amounted to about 25% of their income, depending on how you add it up. It's important to note that the early believers in the church also were taxed by Herod in the New Testament and, and the Jewish believers by the kings in the Old Testament to take care of the needs of the nation. John MacArthur said this, interestingly enough, we are we in America presently pay between 20 and 30% of our income to the government, a figure very similar to the requirement under the theocracy of Israel. Israel was a theocracy. God was their leader. Their giving was both compulsory and voluntary. Compulsory, it was required to give to the government, to the temple, the priests, voluntary offerings above those commanded. If no tithes were given, the Levites and priests had to go to work and neglect the temple ministry. In fact, Nehemiah, after he went to uh, Jerusalem and helped rebuild the walls in 52 days and went back to, uh, to the king to be the cupbearer, he came back for a second visit 
And he said in Nehemiah 13, he found this out. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. He rebuked them and he reinstituted the idea of giving these tithes and offerings to the priests. Well, God said here in Malachi 3.10 that they would be blessed if they continued to fill the storehouse with their tithes of grain, animals, and other supplies. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, he says, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings to meet all of your needs. Blessings that would come upon them as a result of their giving. Their agriculture will prosper. Their good crops would, would grow without pests. It says they would have undamaged vines. They would have a good reputation among the world's nations. And keep in mind that this is a Mosaic covenant between Moses and the Jews, but the principles of giving still apply in the New Testament church age. So first of all, on your outline, the first area of giving that's commanded to us, this is the one that's commanded, is the tithe. Giving what is expected. The tithe, giving what is expected. It's interesting that Abraham, as he won a battle and he was walking home, and of course this is before the Ten Commandments, before the law, he's walking home and he meets Melchizedek the priest on the side of the road. And Melchizedek the priest in Genesis 14.20 asked him to give a tenth of everything that he had and of all the, the, the loot and the things that he had gotten. And in verse 20, it says, And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Some say that tithing was required only in the Old Testament, but giving the tithe dates back before the law. Giving to the Lord as a tithe precedes the commands to Moses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul said, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of each week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made, that all the needs will be taken care of. See, worship through giving is to be a part of the worship service, and we are to participate as we can. Now there's much debate in evangelical circles whether it's to be 10%, a tithe, or it doesn't have to be that percentage. And John MacArthur takes the view that the tithe or 10% is not required in this current church age. But he admonishes that giving should be voluntary and done with generosity. In 2 Corinthians 9, it says, the point is this, Paul said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we looked at that passage there at the end, verse 7, last week. So there's no dispute that the scriptures command that we are to give unto the Lord for his work. And for those who are set aside to preach God's word and to shepherd the flock. Giving is an example of God taking care of us as we are faithful to him. Problems occur when we don't give faithfully back to him. And I know in my own life, I could share testimonies that God has a way of reminding you when you're not faithfully giving to him. 
Uh, all of a sudden, your car breaks down. All of a sudden, all these unexpected issues happen that you didn't anticipate. And God will take you through trials and tribulations to get your attention to give back to him. We are to give to the storehouse. As we said in Malachi, that would be the church today. And allow the leaders and the congregation as a whole determine how to spend it. That's why I believe, as you look through scripture, that the tithe ought to go to the general fund of the church. And special projects or designated giving should go into the basket of offering, which we'll talk about in just a moment. These are monies that are given above and beyond, but the tithe goes to the general fund. Last week I talked to you about J.L. Kraft, and he was the founder of the Kraft Food Company, and he had great success. He was very good about giving away his wealth. And upon one occasion, he spoke of his giving by saying, I don't believe in tithing, but it's a good place to start because he gave well over 50% of his income. So the tithe, 10% of your income is the place for us to start. And it all goes to the local church. So the question is that I get all the time from people, do we give 10% of our net or our growth? And I always love what Dave Ramsey says. He says, how much do you want God to bless you, your net or your gross? You know, it's a matter of how much you want to give because you can't outgive God. This is the only command and promise that God gives in Scripture, at least that I can find, where God says, test me on this. He says, I challenge you that you, you give that 10%. That if you do that tithe, God says, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing And he goes on and says, and I will take care of all your needs. So I challenge you, if you haven't given 10% of your yearly salary to the Lord, God will do amazing things in your life if you step out on faith and give God the money he asks and deserves. Again, we don't give to receive, but if we give, God sees our needs and he will provide for us. And I believe many times he provides beyond our needs and even gives us sometimes our wants and our desires. A fantastic book on this subject I encourage you to read is called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris, The Blessed Life. Now, I don't agree with everything in the book. He's charismatic. He's a pastor of Gateway Church. I believe that's down in Dallas, Texas. He's a great man of God. But uh, this guy gives away houses, cars, and he can't give, the more he gives away, the more God gives him cars and houses to give away. And you learn a great challenge for your spiritual walk in reading that book. And that book's helped Diane and I consider giving to the church and to missionaries and to Christian charitable organizations and people in general. I highly recommend reading that book to increase your faith in this area of your spiritual life. The second area of giving God talks about in scripture is this. The tithe above that is the offerings. The offerings. This is giving above what God expects. In the early church, the disciples, as they were having these home churches, they were very much in a communal relationship. It says in Acts 2.45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says this about the believers at Philippi. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And notice what he says there. I have received full payment and even more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. God sees the needs in his kingdom, and he prompts us by the Holy Spirit through information, through some form of communication of a need to give. That is what an offering is. It it can be giving voluntarily to such things as like a building fund or other project here in the church. We're about to embark on a project here uh, to remodel our building. Our church building is 54 years old, and uh, these wings were added in 1998. And except for some paint and a few changes out in the lobby, we haven't done much to the interior of our building. The carpet is 24 years old and is showing its age in spots. So it's time to remodel, and as the remodel team has been working, we're looking down the road to make sure that uh, the things we place in here will be good for at least 15 years. The purpose of the remodel team and why the elders support these upgrades and changes to our building is found in our purpose statement. And you see it up on the screen. The purpose statement for our remodel team is to create a relevant space for worship, developing community and an inviting place for newcomers that removes all barriers from experiencing Christ in our worship experience. So we're asking as a team, the team's made up of Deanna Gibson and Nancy Barnes and Austin Fink and Danny Gatton and Carrie Barfels and myself and our interior designer that we have come in periodically to our meetings, Lisa Schroeder, to be praying about what part you and your family can have, big and small, in updating and renovating our church to accomplish the purpose that you see up there on the screen. There's other ways to give offerings, like parachurch organizations. I recommend those that are uh, strongly supporting local churches, Pregnancy Resource, WDLM. We could list a lot of ones right around here in the Quad Cities. Specific missions projects, personally support individual missionaries. This is above the tithe that goes to the church. You're giving out of your overflow of money. A third way scripture shares about an opportunity to give is this, the spontaneous gifts. Giving out of compassion. The spontaneous gifts, giving out of compassion. When all of a sudden somebody at church or somebody, a missionary, sends a letter and somebody has a really important need. We think about requests from Converge for when there's a tornado or when there's a hurricane or Ukraine, for example. These are opportunities to give spontaneously. In Acts chapter 11, it says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples, right on the spot, determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending their monies to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. There's an example of a spontaneous need and a response. In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. When we're generous in our giving, we are showing hospitality to others. 
In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, the apostle John said, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So it's seeing the needs of others and giving to that need. We have some examples right here on, on the first Sunday of the month. We have benevolent offering. That's an opportunity to give spontaneously that day or through the month to the deacon fund, which Chuck Gibson and uh, John Kendall oversee as deacons. And they make decisions on how to disperse that money for people who come to the church uh, with physical needs, whether that's within the church family or in our community as well. Paying the medical bills for Donna McCauley. Many of you know about the need there and uh, the opportunity to do that. Possibly whenever an emergency need comes for a missionary or someone connected to the church. Those are the type of things that we're talking about, a spontaneous gifts. There's a story about a man who was very wealthy and he was approached by his church to give to a major financial campaign. The urgent need and compelling case were stated to the man and they asked him for his support. The man responded, I understand why you think I can give $50,000. I'm a man who has his own business and I am very wealthy. But there are some things you don't know. Did you know that my mother is in an expensive nursing home? Well, no, we didn't know that. Did you know also that my brother died and left a family of five with very little insurance money for their support? No, we didn't. Did you know my son is deeply religious and he's gone into social work and he makes less than the national poverty level to meet the needs of his family? No, we hadn't realized that. Then the man said this, well then, if I don't give any of them a penny, why do you think I would give you any money at all? See, by not sharing and helping others in need, it deprives them and yourself of blessing. I always experience joy. I always experience gratitude that God gives me the ability when I can give to somebody else. God will meet my needs, so why not take care of the need of others? I kind of look at it like this, that God just keeps that uh, water, that, that water, that living water, and his provision coming through a pipe to me. But then I have the ability to have my hand on a valve that can divert some of that water or that money or whatever it is, divert it to somebody else in need. And as I divert it, God still continues to give that water, pours that water through that pipe to provide for my needs as I divert it and give to others as well. And then we look at the sacrificial gifts, the sacrificial gifts, giving that costs you something. This is where you have to uh, maybe hurt, or maybe it's something as simple as giving up Starbucks for a month, or something that's going to cost you that you're going to have to do some sacrifice of some kind. In 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a great story of faith, talking about the story of Elijah, Elijah with this uh, widow from Seraphath. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So Elijah arose, and he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Now bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, 
only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and now I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. Notice what he says, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. And the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. She had great faith. She gave what she had, knowing that it could be cost her the meal that she would need, and then they would die. But she was blessed because of her act of giving sacrificially. And as members, we may be called upon to give to other members, not only financially and sacrifice, but maybe it's sacrificing your time or your knowledge, or your spiritual gifts, or your talents. Dr. Tony Campolo was a sociology professor at Eastern Baptist College in Pennsylvania, and he was a very popular speaker. He's since retired, but told of his experience one year at a women's conference. He was making a major address, but before he spoke, at the point in the program, when the women were being challenged with a several thousand dollar goal for their missions project, the chairperson turned to Dr. Campolo and said, would you come and pray over this offering that we're about to take? Well, to her utter surprise, Dr. Campolo came to the podium and he declined the invitation. And he turned to the crowd, he said, you already have the resources necessary to complete this mission project right here in this room. It would be inappropriate for me to ask God's blessing when God has already blessed you with abundance and the means to achieve the goal. The necessary gifts are in your hands, he said, and as soon as we take the offering and cover the cost of this project, we're going to thank God for freeing us to be generous, responsible, and accountable stewards that we're called to be as Christ's disciples. When the offering was taken, they exceeded the goal of their mission's challenge. And then Dr. Campolo led a joyous prayer of thanksgiving for God's abundant blessings and for the faithful stewardship of God's people. I remember at the previous church I was at that we had a sanctuary of 300 and we were raising money for a similar remodel project. And one of my deacons got up at the time and he said, guess what, folks? We have all the money we need right in this room. The problem is it's still in your pocket. And so it is, we have the ability, we have the resources to do the things that God wants us to do. Our last way that scripture stretches our faith and trust in God in this area of giving is this, the faith promise gifts, the faith promise gifts, giving by faith what you do not already have. This is where we get alone with God, we hear about a need, and we ask God to show us how much money that we can give. And we know that we don't have that amount of money available to us right now. Maybe it's a six-month commitment. Maybe it's a year commitment. And you're going to trust God to put down on paper an amount of money and trust God that he's going to provide those resources to be able to give at that specific time. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 says, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Hey, if you step out by faith, 
Remember when uh, the Israelites were getting ready to cross over to the promised land and the, the Israelites were told, the priests were told that they had to step into the water before the water parted. For us, it's a taking out a step of faith and saying, God, I'm going to trust you for this amount of money. In Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We have an opportunity here called Faith Promise Giving to our missions team. We talk about it about every quarter. And there's little papers out there on the information table where you take and you pray and ask God how much over the next year you want to give. You tear off and keep that section for you to put in your Bible as a reminder and then put that commitment in the offering box so the mission team knows you know, what you're trusting God to give. That's an example of faith promise giving here in our church. We need to remind ourselves that we cannot ever outgive God. Remember that. You can never outgive God. When I was a, a student at, in a Christian school in Virginia where I went, we had a Nazarene preacher named Chuck Milhoff come one time. I was a junior in high school. I'd only been a Christian for a couple years. And he talked about this thing of giving living. And he brought a one kernel of corn and he described how you put that kernel of corn in the ground. And we all farmers, the farmers here know about that. And it grows up into a stalk. And of course, it, makes, it provides an ear of corn with many kernels on it that could continue to add more corn if so desired. And the idea he used was uh, Luke 6.38, give and it shall be given to you. Just like you put that one kernel of corn in the ground and trust God, he will let it sprout and provide money and finances for you to give to God. Well, the challenge for us as uh, Christian high school students, also the college and the church there, which is a very large church of 12,000 people, was to see how much we could give in a month's time. And on that Sunday that was set aside, the gathering gave $250,000 because people trusted God with what God challenged them to give and God provided in miraculous ways. So as we think about how to apply these things to our life today, here's four things to take away and think about. First of all, Giving is a command of God, as we read about in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Giving is to be done voluntarily with the proper motive and attitude toward God, like we talked about last week. Giving is for all believers to share in equally. We're all to be involved. Uh, we're all to look at our finances. All of us are going to give different amounts of money because we're at different stages of our life and different places financially. Fourthly, giving is my response to the grace of God. Think about that. To me, this is the one that trumps them all. Giving is my response to the grace of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Think about that. We are rich in Christ, who you say I am, as we sang a few moments ago. We have all these things given to us because of the grace of God. And how can we not come to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and not give back to him in response? The key thought here is this, is that you cannot outgive God and you cannot say that you love God 
without giving. Let's bow our heads and hearts today in prayer as we think about where we are in our financial giving to the Lord. I hope over these past two Sundays and with this, these two messages that you could go home and ponder the questions that I have there for you to think about this week. How are you and God doing in reconciling your checkbook? How will you as a single person or you and your spouse pray about your giving to the Lord this week in light of this message? And maybe ask God how he can stretch your faith and spiritual growth by increasing your giving even this week. Let's bow for a moment of silent prayer and ask God to speak to our hearts and then we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the clarity of it. We thank you that you give us the simple truths and now sometimes it's difficult and hard for us to, to apply these things. But Lord, help us. Help us to set the example of giving for our family. Help our kids to be able to see our faithfulness in our tithes and offerings to you. And that, Lord, we know that as we give, and sometimes it's sacrificially and sometimes it hurts, but we know that you'll provide for all of our needs because of your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Guide and direct us as we think about Growing in this area this week, we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.